everybody, it's Thursday, April the 27th, 2017, and you're listening to the Talking Games Podcast. I'm Bobby Shortle. I'm here with Justin Townsend. Hello. All right. So it's you and I. We said we're talking about games, and everyone's like, we're out of here. Yeah. We don't play those. We don't play those. We don't play games. We're not We're not going to be part of this anymore. Um, no, he was actually on vacation, so congratulations, Hugh. He, I think Hugh's always on vacation. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. He has an easy street. The childless life. The child, yep, the childless life. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh man, but we're, yeah, this week we're uh we're going to go deep dive on the games we've been playing because we've been just doing lightning rounds for the past couple of weeks and as I said, uh, as we said, the fourth show of the month is going to be a m- little more deep dive into the different games that we've been checking out and of course, do a couple of listener questions as well and we're probably actually going to almost kick off with sort of one because uh, we must look at the news out of the way. First, uh, the only big news that really broke this week is that uh, Call of Duty, the next Call of Duty game is Call of Duty World War II. Um, going back, obviously, to World War II, back to its its roots in, in that way, um, they said uh, they're going to have a co-op campaign as well, which seems like it's going to be a separate. Yeah, like a separate thing. A separate thing than the single player campaign. Um, I think zombies are coming back again seems like there's going they're going like way back like no regenerative health mm. health packs like mm. they are going they're going in the way back for the whole game or just supposedly for the oh, whole game hmm. but i don't know if that carries over to multiplayer as well um oh wow that would be interesting yeah. it's going to i'm most interested in this because i want to see how if they use this as an excuse to change up a lot of things about the game like like you like you were just mentioning like how is the multiplayer structure like reward system going to work? It's got to be way different than yeah. it was for the previous six, seven, eight games. I'm not sure how care packages are going to work in World War II. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, you know, the guns just will have a lot less uh, customization uh, available yeah. to them. You know, uh, there are no red dot sites. There there are no enhanced scopes. There are, you know, all this kind of stuff that has become so prevalent in Call of Duty and is a lot of what the upgrade sort of path is all about is going to have to get knocked back. And and it worked for Battlefield 1, obviously a very well-received game, very popular game, but it it's a very different game, yeah. right? The, Call of Duty and Battlefield are... The only thing that's really similar about them is you use guns. Yeah, and Battlefield was only modern for two games, basically. Yeah. Um, so, and, and before that was very much a, much like Call of Duty, a World War II shooter in, in, in a lot of ways. So I'm wondering, um, you know, what what this is going to look like. And it's interesting. I mean, I think that, I, you know, I'm for Call of Duty, I'm always there just to check out that eight-hour single-player campaign and, and then I'm usually out. I'm just not... It's randomly player is just not what I'm looking for in a, in a multiplayer shooter. I wonder if this would change your mind though. It would only be if if they introduced stuff like Battlefield has like class based stuff because like if it's just hey can you shoot dudes the best the answer is no, hundred <laughs> percent. So unless they do something, I mean, and look, I'm mean, I'm more than willing to open up to that happening, but I have a feeling it's still going to be very Twitch based, very like pop up dead respawn go kind yeah. of thing. Um, unless they're going to do drastic changes, which who knows? I mean, I loved uh, Call of Duty 2 on the 360, mm-hmm. which was based in World War II. That was my first like real taste of online multiplayer, uh, aside from Halo 2. And so, you know, it took me a little bit to get used to it, but I I, I loved those maps. I, I loved that gameplay, and I'll be like super interested to see 
how the audience reacts to it because the audience has been turned off from the futuristic setting for the last couple of Call of, Duty, uh, Call of Duties, especially this last one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also just been on that sliding, declining scale of the game yeah. as well. So I think it's part of, of both of those things. I think that I'm interested to hear what people who are diehard Call of Duty people think of, about this because I think it will get some lapsed players back into the fray because maybe the last time they played a Call of Duty game was Call of Duty 2. Um, but most likely the last game they played might have been one of the modern warfares yeah. is the mo- more likely scenario, but still you might think back to like, Oh, you know, when I was in college, I played a lot of call of duty too. And like, it was awesome. So this might be my chance to kind of get back into that. Um, and the, the idea there's a whole co-op campaign. I think that's very cool. And that's something that interests me as, as a player as well. I mean, one of my favorite things ever in Call of Duty history is the Spec Ops mode in Call of Duty Modern Warfare God, 2. I wish they bring that back. And they just never have. They've just been like, nope, we're not interested in doing this ever Here's again. Here's more zombies. Yeah, and we'll call something Spec Ops, but it's not Spec Ops. It's just like a horde mode. Um, I, I, and I loved playing those co-op missions, even though they weren't really bound together by story, just these discrete co-op missions with with friends. Like, they were great. Uh, so if this brings back sort of that feeling, then I'm all in on that thing as well. Um, you know, what they do to change the multiplayer is what I'll be interested to hear academically from other people, because I just don't care that much, you know, uh, uh, on the surface. I, uh, they've got my attention. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm curious, whereas before I could really care less about any of the call of duty multiplayer. Yeah. Um, if I'm interested to see what this one is and I would probably give it a shot when I pick it out to play the campaign. Cause that's what I always do. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll definitely launch into a couple matches. I always do like just to see what it feels like and what it's like. And I always do horribly, but like it, um, I'll, you know, I didn't think I was going to be into playing Battlefield One, and I ended up getting into playing it. But again, yeah. it's a totally different structure of game, um, and, and they're going for totally different things. You know, it's the scale—not just the class-based stuff, but the scale and scope of a Battlefield match—is much less about the how many times have you died, how many people have you killed, and more about territory control and how this all goes. So, and Call of Duty really isn't about that. So, I'm wondering what they're going to do. And it could listen. It could just be. Hey, here's Call of Duty multiplayer, but now you have old guns. That could very well be what they do. But they're gonna make wall running really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna have to bring some. Uh, maybe maybe for the multiplayer they'll do like, oh, the game is a really serious World War II story, but the multiplayer this is alternate history where the aliens came and gave us technology, and now we can run on the walls. If it was set in a World War II setting, that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> I feel like that's probably not Call of Duty's wheelhouse, though. I feel like the, pe- no. the people who were pissed off about the future stuff would be especially pissed off about yeah. something like that. This isn't Wolfenstein or, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. You know, obviously, like you said, it's it's an intention getting thing. So yeah, which they had to do because they were losing ground fast. I mean, they were still the best selling game of last year. Of course. Uh, of course, because it's Call of Duty. But th- their lead was much smaller than it used to be and sledgehammer put out the last really good one yeah yeah the full full fully featured package yeah because i think the campaign infinite warfare is really good yeah um just the multiplayer really didn't do it for a lot of people yeah. but i think that they hit their sweet spot with um advanced warfare right campaign was really good mm-hmm. people seemed to like the multiplayer a lot it, it brought in those like the jump jets and the wall running for the first time and it felt good yeah i mean and if you're gonna do and i think the problem too was not that obviously titanfall 2 didn't sell particularly well um what's just an unfortunate thing good job ea uh, but but i feel like people who were into the kind of shooter that titanfall was and might have also been a call of duty i feel like at this it came to a point where call of duty was doing a bad impersonation of what titanfall was doing much better much better um and, and so they had to get once you start being compared unfavorably to competition like that 
then you need to pivot because obviously you could keep going. And I don't know if there's ever going to be another Titanfall game, but it better be. <laughs> but I, I feel like they kind of hit a wall where they realized they had gone farther than people wanted to go with them. Yeah. Um, and, and now they're going back and they're going way back <laughs> to World War Two. So uh, you remember the times when it was like, oh, God, another World War Two shooter. And now it's all fresh. And now it's all fresh again because they're all running back towards it again. And I'm sure the cycle will continue once again. But yeah, I know. I think that you can play as Hitler in the zombie mode or something, which has gotten some people's feathers a little ruffled. Uh, yeah, I, I saw t- people tweeting about it, but I didn't know if that was a for real thing. Yeah, or me not. neither. I just saw a tweet about it. So I don't, don't take that as gospel on the news from us. But that would be. Be, uh, considering the current climate of our world that'd that would be a, be a bad po- that would be a poor decision bad decision yes yeah bad decision yeah so we have a question from a, yeah. a long time listener and friend of the show yes uh andy writes in for the first time in a while and andy is a big historical nut as his username is historic me uh or if a long if you're a long time listener of the show hysterectomy <laughs> um he writes how do you feel about games that are set in a historical period that do not allow for the diversity that is called for today? And his example is uh, Call of Duty World War II. And this was specifically related to a Polygon article that came up today. And that Polygon article... Which I, we'll put a link to it in the in the show notes if yes. you want to read it. Um, it's an editorial yes. about the announcement and the idea behind um, the sort of tenor and tone of the announcement that, that they're making. Um, and has to do with the idea of um, World War II as a, as a white man's war and the marketing and push behind this seemed to be like, yes, it's a white man's war, but we can also check these boxes of there's a black person in this trailer, there's a woman in this trailer, that, that kind of stuff. But the, the full creative force they put out on the stage is all white dudes. Um, and, and, you know, we, I just actually read the article out loud to me when we were doing our mic check, uh, before we went on, on, on the air. And I encourage people to read the article so they can get more of a context here for what we're talking about. But, uh, the idea to me in the article is the, and I don't want to talk too much just about the article. I just want to give people the context of what, why we're talking about this is that, uh, you know, that the announcement felt like, okay, we're going to make another white person game, but we will try to we try to you know give the people who aren't white people a little bit of uh, uh, throw them a bone right make and and the, the point they made was you know diversity and and race is not and gender is not a checkbox like we have online multiplayer or there's a co-op campaign on the back of the box and to be treated that way is is an insulting thing um because in in doing it the way they did it it seemed dishonest it seemed like they were just trying to do that and Andy's question is a little bit different right and Andy's question is about kind of historical context and how that all goes about in putting in a game like this. Um, I mean, Justin, what do you think? It's a, it's a tough thing because you want to see more diversity in games. It's never, it's never a bad thing, but we're talking about a, a time period where the, the article even brings out, you know, there was segregation, like segregation was still mm-hmm. alive yeah. and well at the time, mm-hmm. you know, there weren't, white troops and black troops fighting together um either you know women didn't have a place on the front line like their their place was um you know nurses Mm -hmm. or as andy said to me like because this is his wheelhouse Mm -hmm. i asked him about it you know he said like you know at at most they'd be ferrying planes back and forth and that was on the american side and this is from this is an american tale and so i know that the article goes into saying like that they're on the french side that you run across there's like a powerful woman french leader and i think that um you know, it's, it's, 
it's a tough thing. You don't want to. You don't want to. I, I didn't get to see it live, mm-hmm. so I'm only getting to read the article. Of course, yes. Um, yes. So you don't want to make it seem like the way the article is taking it, like they're just checking off boxes. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that at, at all. Um, but at the same time, like I, 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 the developer, I, looking at it in a positive light, probably wants to say like we recognize that diversity needs to be there, and we want to include, you know. Um, women and African-American troops and so on and so forth. And they probably just did it in a wrong way. Right, right. Yes. Uh, It being World War II, it's a harder thing, as we talked about before, Mm -hmm. to, you know, if you're going to keep going back to World War II, it's a hard thing to have like, you know, uh, maybe an African-American protagonist Mm -hmm. if they they didn't have the same – roles as you know as as people call it the white man's war or white man's war yeah be more difficult but i like i see both sides i mean i think that it would be more difficult but i think that i think a lot of the criticism for these video game developers is that that because it would be more difficult is not right the is not a reason not to do something you know you could tell a story from the perspective of african-american troops and yeah it would be a different experience than the typical kind of band of brothers saving private ryan story that we are continuously told in, the, in these kind of games but it still might be a story worth telling an interesting story to tell right For sure uh and i think that we get caught in this loop right with big franchises all over the place whether it be in games or movies or comics or whatever where the excuse becomes well we can't do it that that way because it was it wasn't that way if you keep telling the same stories over and over again, you're in this sort of, um, you know, bad representation feedback loop where you just, you never break it because you make the games and you put all oh, the marketing behind the games that are set in these areas. They do well. And then you say, well, we can't change doing these games because they're set in these areas. Um, and then we can't do more diversity because games set in these areas don't have that kind of diversity. And then you, you, you make that loop go on and on and on and on and on. Right. Um, you know, I think Andy's point was he's a big history person. He's very into history. He knows history very well. And if he's playing a game that's based in a historical setting that, um, goes outside that history, um, it takes him out of the experience and makes it hard for him to play the, those stories, which I completely understand. It's, if you have expertise in anything and they portray it in a, in a, in a fictional medium, if they get things wrong, it's very hard for you to watch. It's very hard for me to watch like, like, um, people who are supposed to be, which is funny. Cause you think that people who made movies would be good at showing how people make movies, but sometimes it's just like a terrible, it's like a terrible representation of, of how that stuff happens. And, and it always bothers me. It always takes me out of it. Um, I would say though, like I said before, you can tell there are stories in world war two that feature, people of different races and different genders that you, that you, that you can dive into. And, and I think that, um, you, you don't, you don't have to break historical context in order to do that stuff. And yeah, if you put, you know, African-American troops into a, into a well-known battle that where they didn't appear, people who are into history are going to be taken out of it. Right. But I think that you have to ask yourself, is that the only thing that Call of Duty is doing to break historical, you know, rightness? You know, I, I'm sure they're going to do a lot of things throughout this campaign and story that are bigger than life and go way beyond what probably really happened. You know, I don't think going for total realism of World War II battles is their aim. And so if you can be OK with them making something over the top that wasn't that way. And again, this is a question. I'm not saying that th- that this is this is. 
this that I'm, that I'm saying this is the way Andy is. I'm just saying like in general, this is a general question. If you can be okay with them going over the top with with concepts and ideas that happened in in real world battles and, and tweaking them to make them more cinematic, why can't you also accept? Oh, but they also put a black battalion into this story. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, you you ha- you either have to be if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna toe the line of it has to be accurate. Then you have to be a hundred percent on that has to be accurate. And every little thing has to, that you have to call out and has to bother you. If it's just race and gender that does that to you, then you have to look at why that does that to you. Yeah. And I guess we have to see, I mean, yeah. the article does make points like, Hey, the game's not out yet. Of course. We don't yes. know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they said that they, it seems like they're going for a very authentic feel from the way that the guns actually look and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so like maybe that's really what they're going for. Maybe. Who knows? I, I we'll have to wait until I think it's November third to find out. Yeah, it's November third, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll see a lot of it before oh, November third. Yeah. Obviously, um, yeah. I mean, it's just I, I think talking about these things is one of those things where um, you can be excited for something and also be critical of aspects of it, and it doesn't mean that thing is not worth anything. And I think sometimes that's what happens when people hear people having these conversations. They think, well, they're just writing it off, and and like that's bullshit. We're not writing it off, but you also can't, if you're interested in this sort of discussion, let's say, you can't write off everything that is bothersome about something just because you're excited for it. You know, if you want to be part of that discussion, if you don't care, then don't care, you know, and just be like, I just want to play the game where I shoot people in the head. And like, that's, that's fine. If that's what you want to be. But, you know, some, but if you're listening to a podcast that goes deep into talking about a medium, they're going to talk about this kind of stuff, you know? And I think it's, I think it's worth talking about because I think talking about all of these issues is, is worth talking about and getting getting the discourse on the table, I think, is important. Um, but yeah, Call of Duty World War II is going to be out. And it happens with every – it's a huge franchise. It's like – you know, and so it's under more scrutiny than a lot of other franchises would ever be. Yeah. Because um, it has a chance to reach more people. And I think when people see the uh, something that has that kind of reach, they want it to – that reach to be for good. You know, and, and so I think that's why people – are critical of this kind of stuff because they see the power behind it. Um, but yeah, that's what Call of Duty uh, World War II. And well, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. I don't know, we'll probably see, probably, it'll definitely be on Sony stage at E3. Oh, for 100%. For, for sure. Um, and it'll be a section, and actually this year I'll be a little more interested in watching it um, than I have been in, in the past previous years. Yeah. Where I'm kind of like, okay, they're doing Call of Duty. That's cool, but I already know what Call of Duty is. I'm interested to see what they do to change yeah, this. Like, what does this look like? Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see. Exactly. Um, Can we just talk about one thing for a second? Yeah, of course. This has been a crazy year. This fall doesn't get any easier. (laughs) Think about it. Um, Marvel Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite Infinite. just got a release date uh, mid-September. That is the 16th. Okay. Uh, Then you have Call of Duty, Battlefield, uh, Battlefront. Battlefront. Um, Man, this is some other stuff. Oh, like, and then late August, you have like Shadow of War, Mm -hmm. The Lost Legacy. Mm -hmm. Like, this year is nonstop. You know what sounds good? Also, Mario. It's true. You know what sounds good about the Call of Duty uh, Marvel Capcom games, though? They're short. It's true. <laughs> uh, if, we, if we can get out of the here's a, here's a bunch of sixty hour games all in a row, that's when I'll be yeah. I'll be happy. Though we're supposed to we're supposed to get Red Dead Redemption at the end of the year. Oh, but, that's right, Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, we'll see. We'll and see. Destiny Two. Destiny Two. Yeah, Destiny Two. That will be a big time sink. Good uh, God. Obviously, but there's and this is like the genius right of games like Destiny or an MMO or whatever that comes out or, or something like Diablo or whatever. It's that. You can put hundreds and hundreds of hours into it, but it doesn't have like that daunting look down the barrel because it all happens in like discrete chunks. You know, you're like, oh, 
I just happened, oh, I'm going to run this bounty tonight. It's called bounty. Clean these called bounties and do this one mission. And all of a sudden you've been playing for six hours. It's not like when you're playing persona, which we'll talk about. It's like, okay, I play for six hours. I still have so much left to go. I know. I'm not even close. <laughs> not even close. I didn't even make a dent. Destiny. It's like, okay, I think I'm done playing for now. And there's really no, like, you know, you don't feel like, oh, I missed. Again, we don't know what Destiny is going to be like story-wise, obviously. But, you know, I don't, you don't think you missed any, like, The only thing about narrative. Destiny is, uh, if you're playing with a group, that is a game that you don't want to be left behind. Oh, yeah, totally, yes. So you got to, yes. you, you kind of have to play every night. So true. that way, when the raid comes, you're not squeezed out of the group because you're not a high enough light level. It's true. That that definitely, it's a, keeping up the Joneses situation, definitely. Yeah. It happened, happened in the micro level this time around when, like, Hugh and Cody and Sam were all playing. I just, all of a sudden I'm seeing them talking about it in our discord chat and like the light levels are going up and I'm like, I'm behind again. I was ahead of all of, uh, uh, except for Cody. I was ahead of the other two. Sam hadn't even played the game ever before <laughs> I know. and she already passed you. I know. She was like, oh, I'm at 370 light now. I was like, well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> it's so easy to level up now. <laughs> yes, we have so many, so many games, which, which we're going to talk about. One more thing. What? Yes. We said we were going to mention it. What? I was finally right. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Marvel Heroes is on console. Yes, it is. In closed beta right now. In closed beta, which they make you pay to get into, which is infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple of Founders Packs. The cheapest one of, is, of course, the War Machine Founders Pack, which is... Come of on. course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Spider-Man's like 20 bucks. Yeah, Spider-Man's 20 bucks. Um, well, the the War Machine one is usually 20 bucks, but PS Plus, it was like discounted or something. 16 like or 16, something. yeah. And then there's like an Avengers one that's 50 and a Guardians of the Galaxy one that's 50. Uh and it's in closed beta, so they're going to wipe your progress when they come out of closed beta. Which is why I haven't done anything yet. Yeah, because I played that like opening chapter probably 20 times. 20 times, <laughs> to, like not more. try out different characters and, and yeah. try to level them up, because you can level any character up to 10, 10. Um, without buying it, which is cool. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but it is handicapped from the PC version right now. Right now it is. Yeah, and I hear there's some, like, some technical blips and issues yeah. going on right now. It's kind of disappointing, though, like spider-man has like four costumes like they have 38 ca characters coming mm -hmm. um and the pc version right now has like 61 so that's fine mm -hmm. but like i know on the pc version spider-man has about like 35 different i mean that's an exaggeration he probably has like 12 different costumes right. and on the p on the console side right now it's like oh he has four yeah i think that's an effort like, so that they can say like oh come spider-man has four new costumes and, yeah and it gets people to come back and spend money i know but if you've been playing on the pc version you're like i want the superior costume <laughs> Also, Spider-Man's not that much fun to play. Yeah, Spider-Man's not the best character to play. No. Um, give me that Captain America. I like playing as Captain America. I'm going to play as Thor this time, I think. Oh, cool. I have to fight some people to play Thor in my group. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to... I mean, I'm excited when it comes out of... When it goes into open beta. Oh, I'll be, I'll be stoked. I will be in yeah. there all the time. Totally excited to play it. I'm totally excited to put that on, like, my, like... I need to take a break from the, the story-based game or long game that I'm playing. Let me put a couple, a couple hours into something. It'll be Marvel Heroes. Yeah. That'll be fun, for sure. Um... I'm anxious if I, I didn't really try it out with a controller on the PC, so I'm interested to see how it works on the console. They said that it's not an actual port of Marvel Heroes. Yeah. They came out with like, like a new version of the game with the same content, mm -hmm. but they actually developed a new game around the idea of using it on a console. Which is great. And that's the way you should do it. So I'm excited to try that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were right about that. Hooray. It only <laughs> took three years. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so we got some games to talk about, um, some games that Justin has been dying to talk about for at least over a month at this point. <laughs> yeah. They can now finally talk about. So uh, what are we going to dive into first? Do you want to talk about Mass Effect? Do you want to talk about Nier? 
You want to talk? What do you want to talk about? Let's get Mass Effect out of the way. Okay, Mass it's been it's, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a very long time. And we, we brought this up on the podcast a couple of different times. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about Mass Effect, and this will probably be the last we talk about it for a while. But like I, like I said uh, last time I was on the show, I had beaten it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to give it like I had beaten it th- the previous night, and so I wanted to give some time for my thoughts on the game to settle. And it's been about two weeks. I've, I've I haven't gone back to the game, even though I wanted to, um, just because I started digging hard into Nier. Um, but I will eventually go back mm. to it because there's there is some things that I want to see. And so what I wanted to talk about with Mass Effect is like why I ended up coming around on the game, um, uh, which is like a controversial thing or like a <laughs> controversial topic before the two of us. For the two of us. So let me ask you first because I want to talk about that definitely um, to, to kind of lead you into it. Um, how many hours did it take you to beat the game for one thing? 41. 41 hours. Yeah. Um, did you spend a lot of time on side stuff or did you kind of mainline it? I spent time on like, let's say that there are different tiers yeah. of side stuff. So there are side quests. And then like, I, I think the first game, one of the first games I saw actually doing this was uh, Horizon, mm-hmm. where it's like main quest, side quest, other tasks. Yeah. The Witcher did some of that as well. Okay. Yeah. With the way it um, And so things. other tasks I didn't even look at. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably did it in the first little bit, just not knowing exactly mm-hmm. how everything worked. Like once I got to the the Nexus, which is their version of the Citadel, I was just doing random stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and I think as, a, as, as a Mass Effect player, we've been sort of trained in the past games that some of those things that didn't seem important ended up being really, really cool little side quests that happened along the way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's natural then to want to test those out in, in this new game because it's called Mass Effect. Yeah, and a couple of them were fine. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's this one, um, I know that some people don't like it, but I ended up enjoying it. There's one little quest where you have to, um, there's a guy who's being held on a charge of murder. And you have to figure out whether or not this guy actually did the murder or not. And you come to find out that he didn't actually do the murder, but he intended to. Hmm. And so we have a choice at the end of that where it's like, okay, well, where do I go from here? Do I do I let this guy go? Because, yeah, he attempted it, but he didn't do it. But there's so few people here right now. We could use the extra body or do I just send this guy off to exile? Um, and so you make your choice. Now, I didn't actually get to finish. Like, I, I didn't realize that quest actually went further. And, like, you find out what happens to him later in the game. Okay. Um, so you played for 41 hours. 41 hours. What, what what would you say was the hour count where you started to come around on, on the game? Like, the early to mid-20s. Okay. Um, so about halfway, that's basically about halfway, halfway through. Okay. Um, I started to really come around on it. The, I mean, everything I had read on the game that said... 20 hours was that was the mark where people started to like start enjoying the game more Mm -hmm. and like to focus on the loyalty quests so that's kind of what i did um i focused well i got to a certain point where one night i was playing and i was like texting you i was like i don't think i could do this anymore because i was having (laughs) such a hard time i was focusing so much on like i have to clear every planet right now Mm -hmm. so you land on a planet and there is this horrible rule of three um, which is one of my least favorite things in games is the rule of three. So on every planet that you can land on, there are monoliths. Like there, you get to Andromeda and there's, there is this thing going on and the planets that you thought were going to be habitable and you would build these golden worlds on, they're not. The weather is out of whack. Some planets are frozen over. Some planets are like scorching and you find out that 
somewhere there was this ancient race of machines called architects and they built these monoliths and these monoliths will somehow affect the weather yeah so you have to go clear three monoliths and the only way to fix the weather is to play alien sudoku yes <laughs> which it's literally alien sudoku it is yeah yeah uh which i just looked up all the answers to because <laughs> they eventually get really complicated um but they also patched in a thing where it's like you could buy these coins that literally just skip it okay um like they, they had that in the game originally but i only saw one mm-hmm. um and then when i was like nearly done with the game uh they were like oh these you could buy one of these every day yeah and, like, oh, great. yeah and i think the rule of three thing is is <clears throat> indicative of a problem with the overall game design in, in some ways is that it feels those things are very cookie cutter that you know they feel like video game thing you know like go down clear three things then do the big thing and then you beat the thing you know basically um and just same thing with like this like the the other like ancillary tasks to do on the planet all feel like those sort of things they just feel like it it feels like they're they're not doing anything original or or, or new in these open worlds so the thing is eventually i decided like look i'm burning myself out on doing these things that i don't like let me go try and find things that i do like Mm -hmm. and in an open world game there's gonna be a lot of things that you don't like sure some of those side quests were like go get me three of these things yeah it's like okay (laughs) so i stopped just stopped doing that stuff because i didn't care about it but let me focus on the things that probably have a chance of shining through and that was the loyalty quests Mm -hmm. and so i ended up enjoying a lot of the loyalty quests a lot of the characters um you know, I have I have like an immense fondness for the original characters mm-hmm. of Mass Effect. Um, you know, your Liara's and you know Garrus. the rest of the characters. Yeah, Garrus and um, Rex. Rex, What's the girl in the mask. Oh, uh, Tally. Tally. Yeah, they're all great characters. Yeah, and my first bit when I finally had my crew assembled, um, they they really didn't do anything for me, and some of them still don't. Right. Um. The the Turian character right now, um, Petra, she really doesn't do anything for Vetra, me. Right? Vetra, Vetra. Yeah, yeah. Um, but some of the other ones really do. Like PB is the Asari character, mm. and she ends up really like I came around on her in a big way. Her side quest was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, same thing um, with the uh, – gosh, I wrote down all their names. I'm terrible at names. Uh, PB, Jal, Suvi, Korra, and Drac. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really good characters. Um I think Korra is really cool because, like, she's got an interesting backstory. Like, she's a human, but she was fought with, like, on an Asari commando squad. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're like, oh, I didn't know that, that could be done in Mass Effect. Like, you were, like, a specter for the Asaris. Like, that's cool. Um, so, like, those things really ended up, like, coming around for me and working. And, like, I found out the more I was doing those quests, it was like, oh, I'm on this planet and, like, I'm right next to this thing. I could just do this thing right now. And, like... It was fine, like doing these little side quests where you find out like what happened to people and like what what, what happened to this settlement, where they all go, and you find out. And they're like interesting story, little tidbits. Um, I do think that the game, like they should try if they do another Mass Effect, like get away from like the giant open world structure. Like it just doesn't work as well as it does in other games. Yeah, it just didn't feel like. And again, I only played about twelve hours, fifteen hours of it, but it, it felt to me like there was no purpose for them to be big open worlds no because there was nothing in them that made there was there was neither like like interesting combat encounters to just happen upon and there was also no sort of like immersive aspects to the way the game played you know you couldn't like you know like something like in zelda or or grand theft auto even or you know where you're kind of stumbling into like 
these sort of organic story or gameplay moments that you're not expecting to look into or just like color in the in in the areas it didn't feel like they were filling the world with anything other than the fact that so you got you'd have to drive from one end of the planet to the other to go do the things you need to do yeah and eventually you can unlock fast travel points right, and yes. all that stuff yeah. i mean it is nice to see you land on a planet and like you land on this snowy planet and it is like a blizzard every mm-hmm. every time you step out of your car if you step out if you step outside of the nomad like you're um life support just starts like beeping like immediately like you need to take shelter right now yeah and like if you do the thing if you go clear those monoliths and like and fix the planet's atmosphere like it becomes more sustainable and then um the more things that you do like clear out these bases of enemies and like you can create a like a, a habitat for humanity like here here's this small settlement and like you see that settlement grow over time and like mm-hmm. that's like a it's it's a neat thing to see and yeah. so you could do five of those mm-hmm. um and if you get like all five to a hundred percent um, which I ended up doing just by chance. Like I just kept going back and forth to the planets enough that I eventually right, did it. Yeah. Um, there's like a, a weird, like, or like a neat little thing that you see at the end of the game. Um, a couple other things. Um, the music is great. Mm. It is gorgeous. There were like really dynamic combat stuff, but you had to like, go, like go search it out. Like you ended up fighting this giant architect thing that flies around like architect snake that flies around in the sky. It's like a cool boss battle, mm-hmm. but like, you had to like kind of go seek it out. Like that was one of those side quests that yeah. you had to do. Yeah, the combat was fun. I I enjoyed. The combat was was good. I, I enjoyed the combat when I when I was playing the game. It was the least of my complaints uh, f- from playing the amount of the game that I did. And as far as the story stuff goes, like originally when I was playing the game, I thought Ryder, my character, was just like a doof. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not even gonna go into like the whole facial animations thing. They started fixing some of that, right? Uh, but after a while, like I just stopped noticing. I was like, okay, that's a flaw with the game. Like they're just gonna look weird. Yeah, I mean, it was but, a flaw for sure, but it was something that you could look past. You could look past. Yeah, if if the other stuff had was there to buoy it up. So the weird part about it is like the character started to grow on me. Like your character has zero respect from everybody when you start the game, and the getting rid of the Paragon Renegade stuff, I felt actually worked in the game's favor a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people didn't like that. But like if I wanted to tell somebody to go screw off, like it wasn't like I was choosing the renegade option where it's like I could affect the end of the game this way. Like if I just didn't like a character, I just didn't like you and I liked everybody else. But it let me do that. Yeah, no, I think it was a good idea to get rid of that binary like yeah. you're good, you're bad system that they had. And then uh, the more you do in the game, your character starts earning the respect of the, her, you know, her super- quote unquote superiors and also her crewmates. Like some of the crewmates like right at the beginning of the game, like cord like does not respect you at all because she, she she thinks that she was next in line to be the pathfinder and she was right yeah so she's pissed that you have it and she has a duty that she's going to uphold to serve you like not serve you but like to be at your side but as the game goes along the choices that you make ed, end up changing the way the characters see you and what it feels like a more correct or like actuary tone mm-hmm. um and so like I, you know i it, it took me a while, but I ended up coming around on it. Is it a perfect video game? By no means. <laughs> and is it the best Mass Effect game? No, it's it's not the best Mass Effect, uh, Mass Effect game. If it had any other title but Mass Effect, I think people would like it a lot more. I think the game has a lot to offer, but it is like it's not on the same tier as those other ones. Yeah. Like those other ones are some of the best games ever made. Mm-hmm. Any of them are. Um, and so, you know, this one definitely is like it, it's a disappointment coming off of that. But I think that they lay the groundwork for something good. Um, I like at the end of the game, like in the game, it, it does what open world games do now. It's just like, oh, you're not done if you don't want to be. There's a ton of stuff that you could still do here, but it feels right. Mm. Like the, the game doesn't leave off in like a way that the other ones did. Like the, it's open for a sequel. Like they, they definitely leave the door open for mm. a sequel. Um, but 
you could be like, well, I'm not done yet. Like I still have, I still have worlds that I could go help populate. I still have side quests that I want to see the end of. And it's like, you could just get like right back out there and keep exploring. Mm -hmm. So I mean, all that felt really good. And that's Mass Effect. Cool. I will play whatever, whatever DLC comes out for it. Think there's going to be DLC? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I'm just not sure how much they're going to react to the the negative reception of the game. You know, to, and if, how, if those DLC plans weren't too far along, if they, I'm sure they push them, them back or axe them if they're like, um, no, probably no people didn't like it. So let's. Well, I mean, they did say. I mean, the the, the head of EA got out there, or was the head of Bioware? I think it was the head of Bioware got out there and. Um, put his name to it was like we hear your complaints mm -hmm. like there are good things about this there are bad things about this we're working on it mm -hmm. we're we're going to see this through right and like i think it's too big of a franchise for them to just like cut off and run away from oh i don't know if they'll cut off and run away from mass effect in in total but i think they can't i i don't think that they could like I don't think they can they can make Mass Effect Andromeda 2 without yeah. completely fixing Mass Effect Andromeda 1. Yeah, but I, I and I think at a certain point even if they fixed it the name Andromeda is going to be a poison pill for them to a certain extent because it's almost like you know how long it took people for people to actually realize that all of those weird Xbox One restrictions weren't in place anymore. It was like the box where you always had to be online 2 years after they had gotten rid of yeah. that stuff. It's just I mean once it hits the public consciousness, like the the tail on it like doesn't stick with nearly as many people. So that w if you try to talk to most people who are, who don't didn't stick with the game or didn't, f don't follow along closely with having the game. Oh, that game was bad is what most people are going to say, no matter what they do from here on out. So I think they have to ditch the Andromeda subtitle at the very least, um, whenever they go next with, with the series. We'll see. I yeah. mean, it's, it'd be interesting to see where this goes because yeah. even if a, a sequel is coming, it's not coming out for, years years yeah years no, yeah absolutely um and i like judging from the things i saw at the end of the game like and we talked about this like there is there is good in that game there's mm -hmm. like there are good things there there are things i like about that game a lot there are also some like really dumb things that i wish they would get away from i wish a lot of, like you know the rule of three is a thing mm -hmm. I, I wish video games would get away from in general yeah it's just not fun yeah um and alien sudoku is just not fun at no, all no, it's not. um but yeah like I ended up enjoying it. Is it a game that I think you need to rush out and play right now? Absolutely not. But I think if you like space games, A, we don't get a lot of those. No. And if you liked Mass Effect, like I think that eventually it's something that you should look at. There are there there's enough of Mass Effect there that made me enjoy it. Yeah, and, and I think Justin said about the the contentious topic between the two of us. The contentiousness became because um you know, he told me if you stick with it, it becomes a better game. And I and he said, I said, how long? You said twenty hours. I said, that's like eighteen hours too long for a game to take to tell me that it's worth playing. You know, and I think that I think that again, it, this is why talking on long form ways about games I think is important uh, because people can listen and go like, okay, it took him twenty hours, and this something worth it for twenty hours. But is it going to be worth it to me to play for twenty hours? Do I have 20 hours to give to a game that I could be spending on something else um, before I start enjoying it? Uh, and so I think that's a decision you have to make, you know, kind of for yourself. But that's why we play these games so that you don't necessarily have to buy them all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let me, I, I want to talk about Persona a little bit. Go ahead. Um, so, I, I, you know, I've talked about it in little f fits and starts as, as we've gone along the last couple of weeks. Um, and to a large extent, now we'll I'll talk about this in the, in the smaller games that I played. 
I got to this point though, like last week or something where I was like, literally since March 3rd, when Zelda came out, I've played two games. <laughs> you know, it's like, I've only played Zelda and Persona. It's basically what, what, what has been happening. Um, it's another huge game and, and I put a, a 24, 25 hours into it at this point. I'm a quarter of the way through it. Jeez. Um, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm loving it so far. You know, it's, it, it, it's very interesting to play such a Japanese role-playing game. You know, Final Fantasy 15 uh, is obviously has a lot of Japanese role-playing game tenets to it, but it's adopting more of a Western style. You know, it's like it's taking the Western style of this open world RPG and sort of and, and tie it into the, the Japanese tradition. This is, you know, a very linear role-playing game. You know, it, it for, for your for the first five hours you're basically being just taken from scene to scene. Um, and there's a little bit of like, you can walk around and do stuff, but for the most part, it's just like you, you do a scene, you go to the next scene, you do a scene, you go to the next scene, you go to the next. It, it's very linear for a little while until it starts opening up a little bit. Um, and it's a turn-based battle system and it's dungeons. You know, you're walking around you, it's not random battles, but it, you know, you enemies are walking around the environment. If they, if they see you or if you touch them, you're in a battle with, with, with them basically. Um, and it goes to a, a separate screen, you know, w in which you fight them three, three, two, whatever in front of you, you're on one side, they're on the other side. So it, it is a, it is a very nutritional battle system in that sense. Does it get tiring? No, and it, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of variation inside the turn-based combat. And, you know, you have a four person party at all times and you're controlling all of them, unless you've got the cat, person with you and then she or he plays himself um you don't control him but you but as you go along you get other party members that you can swap in and out so you can have party members where you're controlling everybody and and they have a lot of cool um mechanics which make you sort of be actively involved in what's happening so you know obviously all enemies have a weakness and if you learn that weakness and you hit them with it uh you're you get a you get a second you get a follow-up turn and you can choose to either use that turn for yourself or you can do what they call a baton pass and pass it on to the next another player. And if you pass it on to the next player, they'll get they'll get um, increased um, accuracy and attack power um, when they're when they go. Um, and so their attack will do more. And so if you have, you know, if you have uh, like your four players and you're facing three different enemies and your character is good with weakness against one, um, you hit that weakness, you knock them down, you pass it on to the next player who has uh, a power that's uh, one of the other enemies is weak to hit them blah, blah blah pass it on and you build up sort of this like ultra force and then there's you know the aspects of um there's like special conditions that like you'll get a follow-up attack with if you do certain things and you have certain characters with you because in, in the real world uh you're building up bonds social bonds with these characters and the, the higher you get your social bonds with these characters the better you are together in the battles in the actual game uh which is really cool, you know, and it presents itself in a, in a really stylish way as well. So that helps as well because everything is really cool looking. Um, and if you knock all the players, all the enemies down, you hold them up. And, and again, this is the first Persona game I've ever played. So I think this mechanic was in other games, but it's a very cool mechanic. So if you knock all of them down, you sort of rush up to them and you have the option of either talking to the enemies and trying to either get them to give you money, an item, or... The, their power themselves because they're all in themselves personas this is the combat only in the dungeons yes okay yes combat's only in the dungeons um when you're in like the real world it's like a social sim you're like walking around like 
you're like renting movies and buying books and eating and like you know, hanging out with people and going to the batting cages and all studying and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and there's various social links that you're trying to build up with, with characters that not necessarily you're bringing into the, the dungeons with you, but other characters in the world, because, you know, um, if you get your social bonds with them up, not only do you maybe get discounted items from them, you also, if you get a persona that kind of has that, that it's like in their category and everyone has a category. It's like, Oh, like they have a card basically that you're leveling up and personas will be labeled with that card. And if you, if you have a persona that is adjacent to one of these characters and you, your bonds really high, they're more powerful and they have, they get extra attacks and stuff like that. So the stuff you're doing in the real world, even though it's not combat based, it's still building up your stats and, your effectiveness in, in the combat realm. Um, and, uh, you know, I enjoy turn-based combat for the, for the most part, if it's interesting, if there's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of stuff going on here, I like the strategy of, okay, this time I'm not going to attack. I need to use my heal because if I don't use my heal here, they're going to take this person out and then I don't have to waste this like restorative item. And I don't, you don't have that many of the restorative items. So I make sure I healed them before that happens. I like that sort of play, uh, throughout, throughout combat. Um, and the personas are cool. You know, they're, they're, basically you know your summons in, in a lot of ways except they're, they're 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 not as powerful as summons they're basically attacks they're like your magic attacks actually that's better they're, they're your magic attacks and your partners can only have one persona and you build that up as you go along but you're sort of special uh, and so you you can collect many personas and you can then fuse personas together to make new personas and when you do that, that's when your bonds with their characters really come into play. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Sounds like it. The game does a great job of building you up to it, though. Like I'm, I'm talking Good. to you. I'm talking to you 25 hours in, where all these systems have been part of my life for a <clears> while <throat> now. But they un, they unveil them at at a pace in which uh, you can understand understand it. them, and you ne- you're never really learning more than one mechanic at a time. Um, and so it's building on itself, and it's building on itself, and it's building on itself. Um. Do you think you're going to see it all the way through? I yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not bored with it at all. Good. You know, I'm because we're we do this. Like, I'm trying to balance multiple games. You know, I'm trying to play a little bit of near and try to play through near. And like, I basically want to go like, okay, I'm gonna put if I put if I put let's say five hours in a week into Persona, then I'm gonna put two hours into near or so, or something like that. You know, um, hopefully it's more time than that. But if it's only that amount of time, like that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, you know, my, my, my goal is to be really be done with Persona by the time we hit like June or something like that. You know, that's sort of my June or July. There are people who are like listen to the show that reached out to us that are like, well, I've beaten it. I want to know what you think of it so far. Yeah. We had we had one of those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it was Tanner. It was Tanner. Yeah. We asked specifically me about what I was thinking of it. Um, and I love it so far. And, and I can see why people love the game. Um, I, we, we mentioned the style is is unmatched the the music is amazing like all all of the frills around the game make it very easy to like because you're always getting some sort of like either auditory or visual stimulus because everything is so so cool to to be a part of um you know i i think that and it doesn't matter if it's sort of the in-game cutscenes or the anime cutscenes because they, they all look really good and they, they, they did a great job picking the music that is sort of like the idol music 
because it's like this jazzy sort of downbeat thing and you hear it a million times because you know whenever you're like in your in your bedroom or when you're walking around it's playing like the same song but i play 25 hours and i'm not sick of it it at all you know and same thing with the battle music and all that stuff too Uh, i've been enjoying the story i really liked the first dungeon um and the the idea behind that dungeon um and i like this i I finished the second one i like that one too it's not as personal as the first one to how many dungeons are there i think there's eight wow i think there's eight of them which makes sense because it took me about 10 hours to do each of them basically not 10 10 hours for each story section not 10 hours in the dungeon itself um do you think the game is is um hindered in any way by its length i mean i think it's hindered in the fact that most people won't finish it um for sure and i think people are probably gonna be scared off by how long it it is and you know for me when i i've been excited about it for a couple of years because i wanted to play four and it just never happened i just I didn't want to play it exclusively on a handheld device. Um, and I didn't have a PS2 plugged in or anything like that, you know? So, uh, I, I, I've been waiting for this game to come out for a long time because I I wanted to get into one and hearing that it was that long is definitely a, Oh my God. Like I, that's what's scary. That's what actually scares me about the game. It's terrifying that that it's that long for me. It's like, I'm going to play as much as I possibly can. If it comes where I'm not having fun anymore and it becomes a chore, then I'm going to stop playing. Cause I just, I don't want to have that experience with, with, with the game. Um, and if I put 50 or 60 hours into a game, like I'm going to feel like I got my money's worth putting yeah. 50 or 60 hours into it. Um, but it, so far it's keeping my attention. And what's good about it is it's a game that because of its turn-based combat and because of the way the systems are laid out and the day structure, it's an easy game to walk away from for a little while and then come back to. How are you doing with the time crunch? I don't mind it. I know it's uh, uh, Patrick Klepek from Waypoint was talking about how it was stressing him the hell out. It uh, seems like it's going to stress me out. You know, the, the truth is you're not going to have time to do everything and everything except for shopping and stuff passes the time. And most days, except for like the one, I, I don't know how school works in Japan, but it seems like there's only one weekend day where you have fully off from school. Um, that day you have, you have more options, but for the most part, you wake up in the morning and then sometimes there'll be like story stuff that happens during the day, like at school, or you'll have a, a test or you get called on by a teacher and you have to answer a question, which by the way, they're not asking you questions that you can necessarily know from walking around or talking to anybody in the game. They're just like general ass knowledge questions that they ask you. If you get them right, it adds to like your knowledge stat or, or whatever. Um, you, most of your days are going to consist of waking up basically school and just like scrubbing through school. It'll be like early morning, morning, you know, afternoon. And, and it'll go to after school. And after school is when you have your time to do whatever you're going to do. Most of the time it's like, Hey, do you want to go to this dungeon that we're doing right now? Um, do you want to go to, they have a sort of, um, it's not procedurally, I don't know if it's procedurally generated, but it's like, um, a dungeon you can always go to. That's like a sub dungeon. It's like, it has like, um, mini bosses and stuff in it that that you can fight and just a bunch of regular enemies. And it's a way to level up and get items and stuff like that. And like, there's levels to it. It's like the subway system and it, it goes down levels and levels and levels. Okay. Um, because in the game, the side quests really, uh, really, um, consist of, you have like a website for the Phantom Thieves that like somebody set up for you. And then you get like requests on the message board. They're like, oh, this person's bothering me, blah, 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 whatever. And then like you have this person who like vets them and goes like, hey, I found one that's like real. Can you go to this like, um, I think they're called Mementos is the name of the, is the name of this like sub dungeon. And you just go down levels until you find this like sub boss and, and fight them. And it's like a mini version of the dungeons. Um, 
you do that or you can go like hang out with um ryuji or you can you know hang out with on or you can hang out with whoever or you can go to the clinic and have the weird doctor lady perform medical trials on you that like get you discounts on medicine and ups your guts like like category or weird. whatever um or you can go do this like cheeseburger eating contest or you can go to the batting cages or you can go to like back to your where you're staying in this cafe with this like guy who's like very surly, but if you help him like brew coffee and you, and you, and you learn from him, he'll be nicer to you. But all of those things usually take up like that block of time. So if you're going to do that, like if you're going to go, let's do say, go to the hamburger eating contest or whatever, like you do the hamburger eating contest and it goes from, it goes from after school to evening and you go back home and there's things you can do at home that you can only do at home. Like you can study at home um, in one of the, one of the booths. You can go upstairs and watch a movie you can like craft um, like uh, stealth tools, like lock picks and stuff like that at your table. Which seem important. Yeah, you can work out and they'll up like your, you get extra hit points for doing that. Weird. There's a lot of stuff you can do. Um, so you have to like figure out what's important to you at what, at what time, you know? And, and sometimes it's very easy to figure it out because it's like, okay, like I just, I definitely need, you know, I need more hit points or I definitely need to craft these lock picks because I found two chests last time two locked chests last time i was in the dungeon and when i go back i just want to be able to go to those places and unlock them um but then sometimes you're like i don't know maybe i'm just gonna go hang out with this person or that person and see what what comes of it so it's kind of like a game you just have to play and then just like whatever happens happens yeah i mean you can look at a guy that says like make sure you do this you know that kind of guides you through i i I don't think it's how i could play the game it would stress me out too much like no like i have to do this i have to do this like when I get around to playing this thing, I think I'm just going to wing it. Yeah, and that's what I'm doing for the most part. The only thing I look up is like I look up the answers to the questions the teachers will ask me because I want the, I want them knowledge points. Gotcha. And the day structure is fun. You know, the, and, and what they do, interestingly enough, is there'll be a certain point when you're sort of um, in sort of the end run towards a dungeon. There's like a real world deadline you need to get the dungeon done by. That I heard. It's something that will affect your characters in a really bad way. Uh and you have to finish the dungeon within like this two week period or whatever, which is funnily enough, the time where the game is most open, like a lot of the time in the in between every day will sort of be very structured because you're doing certain things here, certain things there, certain things here. And it, like pushes you through until you until you figure out what the next dungeon is going to be. And then it's like, oh, we have two weeks and they put a counter on it. And that's time where you can really kind of decide what you want to do. Basically, if I'll give me a tip if they don't, because the first dungeon doesn't really explain this perfectly to you. As uh, you need as long as you have two days before the deadline where you kind of reach the end of the dungeon because there's something you have to do at the end of every dungeon before you get to the boss fight that takes like a day to to happen um as long as you have two days you're totally fine but i will say give yourself time because you're gonna go into dungeons and you're gonna go through them and you're gonna point where like you're out of healing items or more more likely you're out of magic points and items that restore your magic points are much more rare than the ones that you, you'll have a bevy of health stuff. Um, so you, you're going to be like, Oh shit. Like I have no magic points left. I, I need to just, just bounce out of here. You go back to the real world. And when you come back, your points are all back. Um, and you might realize, Oh shit, I'm outmatched. These enemies, any better weapons. You can go to like the airsoft shop and buy weapons there. Cause weapons that are fake in our world are real in the imaginary world. Um, stuff like that. So, that I like. I like that you're able to go in and go out and do like what you need to do um, in, in that way. I don't get stressed out by the timeline because I'm just kind of like, whatever. Like if I don't bond up with on whatever, like I'll just deal with it. I just, yeah. I'm just, I just want to play the game and get through it. And there are days where I'm like, yeah, man, I just want to like bounce around Tokyo and like go, 
hope, hope, you know, hope that I, like my train, I get a seat on the train so I can read this book and get my like proficiency stat up or whatever. And then oh, I just want to go hit some balls in the batting cage and go run laps with Ryuji or whatever. And there's some days where I'm like, no, I want to do some combat and I'll go into the dungeon or go into mementos and like do that. Um, and it gives you that option, which I, which I like a, a lot about the game, you know, and I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. So cool. I'm happy because I, I was, you know, part of me was worried about it. And Badney Gruen asked uh, what, what I like and dislike, what we talked about and what, who's my favorite character. My favorite character is a good question. Um, Do you even have all the characters yet? No, party? no, 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 no. Because when the screen comes out, the telescreen, I'm like, oh, there's like four people on this screen that I've never seen before. Um, and I just got like a, a fifth member of my party 20 hours into the game or or whatever. Yusuke. Um, I like Ryuji a lot. I think he's he's a cool character. Um, and I like the, the the crazy doctor lady who like gives me experimental, experimental medicine. That's a fun one. Sweet. It's a great game. So I'm, I'm hoping to move through it, but I'm also splitting a time with Nier, which is the game that you finished. Nier, oh God, Nier Automata yes. is something else. Um, man, I don't even know where to start with this thing. So I have beaten Nier. I got the platinum somehow. Uh, I have beaten um, all five major or seen all five major endings, mm-hmm. which is not something I thought I was ever going to do with this <laughs> game. Um. I mean, we talked about it briefly in, in podcast past. With the five major endings, you have to play through it three times. Three right? times. Right, okay. Um, and then at the end of the third, at the end of the third playthrough, this is not really a spoiler, um, but it, just so you can understand how the, the endings work. Yeah. Um, at the end of the third playthrough, there's a choice you have to make. And um, the fourth and fifth playthroughs are you kind of, it's like you do the opposite choice for your fourth playthrough, and then you do the same thing. They make the same choice again at the end of the fifth playthrough. Uh. So, like, you have to have completed ending D to get ending E, but you make the same choice that you made in D okay. for E. Um, and then some wild stuff happens, which I don't want to spoil or, or get into. So, I mean, so you, when you finish the third playthrough, yes, right? Is that going to be your third major ending, or would you have that be your no. fourth? It, that'll be the third major ending. Okay, and so then you finish that, and then do you have to reload? reload you can reload a save, okay. which takes you right pretty much to that choice, okay, to that fork in the road. And then you make that other choice. You make the other choice. Game ends. Ma- load it back up. Make that same other. Make choice. the same choice. Yeah. The game keeps track of where you're at. Like right. What, yes. what endings you have? Like every time you load your save. It'll give you you have B you have you have endings A, B, U, F. Yes. I G. have I have two endings right yes. now because I died in the prologue and then I, I pulled my chip out just just to get that ending. Of course. Yeah. Because you have to. You have to. Um I mean that game is something like it is it is something special. Um when I was first playing it, I I didn't think it should be open world. I thought the open world was just like God, just like PS2 era and it is that's that's I mean honestly that's where I am right now. Yeah. I, I, I that's how I feel. Because I just feel like I'm running for like two minutes and there's and Gary, nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> there's like there's not even enemies. There's like nothing. I'm there's just nothing. running. These buildings that you can't run through, even yeah. though it looks like you can run through them. Yeah, just a lot of invisible, invisible walls yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And what I've told you is stay on the main path. Yeah. Like I started doing tons of side quests and didn't unlock fast travel until like eleven hours into the game, which was such a mistake. <laughs> um the main story stuff in there, like, is super weird but super cool Mm -hmm. um the story goes like the narrative goes places right um if you want to know nothing about near don't listen for the next couple of minutes (laughs) so i'm going to talk about a couple of things um like light spoilers in the game so on your first playthrough you're going to ruin something for me 
No, you'll be fine. Okay. You already know who you play as in the second playthrough. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, Bobby asked me not any spoilers not to bother Bobby. Yeah. So we'll, I'll, I'll avoid those. But I mean, this isn't really a spoiler. I mean, it's no, like, yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's so you, like when people hear like I have to play through this game multiple times. That sounds boring, but it's not. Yeah. And here's why. So in your first playthrough, you play through a character as 2B and she has a companion 9S. They're You're, androids, by the they're way. They're androids. It's, it's, they're, a, it's a very int- weird setup. So the basic setup is aliens came to Earth, built machines that dis- that ran humanity off Earth. To the moon. To the moon. And humanity built androids to go back to Earth and retake Earth from the machines that the aliens built. Yes. Yeah. Not the aliens themselves. Which is like an interesting. The aliens idea. haven't the aliens haven't been seen for a very long time. Right. Yeah. It's 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 a very we're talking weird world. We're talking thousands of yes, years. Yes. Thousands have of years in the past. Um, which is weird because the buildings are still standing. Yeah. Um. So you uh you play as two B with her companion nine S and there is a very straightforward campaign that you do and you are fighting like you are a humanoid android fighting clunky robot looking machines. Yes. Um, and then you start seeing some things about the machines that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like, are they gaining consciousness? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, some of them are disconnecting from their neural network, um, which like allows them to live like, well, if I die, I die. I, I, I can't be uploaded into a new body. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we've chosen to do. And you meet characters and like you are very prejudiced against the machines because the, you are designed to fight them. Yeah. And you are also coming like, you know, you have your own consciousness. You are aware of your actions and you make decisions. But like your basic programming is to protect humanity yeah. at all costs. And so this bumps against that. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like you're my enemy. I can't be mm-hmm. I can't be associating with you, even though you're helping me out here. And that story plays across the first camp, the first campaign. And there's an ending. The game ends, the credits roll and you actually go back into the campaign and you start the game all over again, but you're starting it from the viewpoint of 9S, the other character. Now, that character has different abilities than 2B. Um, he's a hacker. So there's like a, a, a ton of hacking mini games, which are which are fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. I never really got tired of hacking. Mm. Um, That's good to hear. And th- it's shorter. It, it is a shorter campaign. Mm. You skip you skip major boss battles because of story reasons, narrative mm. reasons. And I told you the combat is all monotonous at that point. Like you already know what's going on here, but the narrative side is really why you're playing it. So you will be fighting a boss from the first, from the first playthrough, but you are picking up things that you didn't pick up on the first time because you're hacking into that boss and you are slowly seeing the curtain lifted on. Why is this character acting like this? Mm -hmm. And nearly all of that stuff stuff is wildly tragic in the most crushing ways if you had, just if you had told me three months ago that near automata would be a game i would be playing not for the combat but for the story i would have called you crazy because and it was mostly good ignorance right because i think both of us just thought like oh it's just a platinum game right it's just like gonna it's a be, hack and slash yeah it's gonna be look it, it's gonna be like I love Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. They're fucking awesome games. The story is gobbledygook, you know? It's all about just like, oh, this is crazy. She has, she has a hair dragon, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what I expected Nier Automata to be, just like crazy in the in the platinum way, yeah. not in this Japanese role-playing game way, which is a lot of what what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the story is why I, yeah. I, I saw Nier to the end. The combat eventually becomes whatever. Yeah. Like, it, it, it didn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, 
even at the start i mean i think like the combat's fine but it's it's not it's great like i yeah. oh i had fun with the combat yeah, yeah. like i got really good at it the chips that you could upload into right. yourself and like a ton of different ways to play the game mm-hmm. um which is like a really neat balancing act yeah um where you can like you get a chip that's like i want to just regen health when i'm out of combat mm-hmm. oh cool i have four of these let me add them together let me fuse these together. But now by fusing them together, it's taking up so many more slots. Right. Now I've got to drop stuff to put this in. Mm-hmm. So like I had no problem with the combat all the way up until like n- near the end of the second playthrough. But gotcha. let me get back to the playthroughs yeah, really yeah, quickly. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, like you find out more about the things that you're doing and it's like, it's just sad. Like you that's end up feeling yeah. for like a lot of the characters, like even the, the bosses that you're fighting, you're like, Oh Jesus, that's mm-hmm. why you, you were this way. Yeah. Um, at the end of the second playthrough, same things ty- start happening, and then credits roll, and then you start playing in the middle of the credits. <laughs> um, things happen, and then the third playthrough is completely from that point forward. It is not a replay. It's not right. a, like a replaying of like the the actual game. It is all from that point forward, all new stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I think the second playthrough probably took me like four hours, maybe a little bit more. I beat it in like two settings, um, maybe like five, because I was just rushing. Like there are a ton of side quests that you can do. Um, and those side quests go places. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, again, like more filling in the gaps there of like, I was fighting this giant thing that you fight in the tutorial. You can go talk to him at the end <laughs> of it. Or you could talk to one of those. Yeah. Um, they all go places. But for me, like, I was like, I just want to see the endings. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get, get the main parts of this. And so I just started beelining it through. Um, the I would say from the end of the second playthrough all the way up to the third, I was no longer overleveled. I was under leveled for where i was so like i was fight fighting people who were like level 48 and i was level 44 mm-hmm. um so that made it more difficult and if you die in that game you've got to go get your stuff back yeah um which a couple of times like i had some weird stuff happen to me in this game too um one time like i died and i went to go pick my body back up and my body just was not there like it was there i could see it but mm-hmm. it wouldn't let me pick up any of my stuff and i'm like well just reload a pre- previous save mm-hmm. uh there's no auto save in the game at all so save every chance that you get you mm-hmm. go to these terminals and you can save um i was so over leveled i didn't even think about saving and i played about like two and a half hours of the game and i encountered a game breaking glitch uh where you return to your bunker in space and you have you're talking to your commander who decides that she no longer wants to live and walks right through the walls into space and drops out of space like just drops out and it's like your character actually has no ability to move you are stuck oh my god it is like I, I i researched everywhere and i found one person who had this glitch and i messaged them and I, they never responded but i was like what did you do uh and i never got a response so i was like all right well let me just i, I thought back then like let me just reload the save i auto saved somewhere never did i was right <laughs> back where i started i lost like three hours of progress that night so then like I just beelined it through that and probably finished it in about an hour and a half. Uh, just like forego all combat anywhere I could. Um, oh, so the game is very, you can switch difficulties at any time. Yeah, anytime. And uh, if you put it on easy. It plays the game for you. If you, in, if you, you can either disable or enable these auto chips with your, with the left trigger. If you enable the auto chips, it will basically just play for you. Like you walk, but it'll attack, dodge, yeah. shoot all yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, and, and as Justin was saying, like, I think this game is like the combat's fun, but the story is like where it's at with this thing. Yeah. So if you were, if you're playing the game and you feel like, oh man, I died and I have to redo this thing over again, just put it on easy. Let it, let it get past the point that's like bothering you. And then didn't, you can put it back 
up or down however you want you know a few times in this game that were, uh i was playing it and things that happened like legitimately upset me and like i didn't see coming mm-hmm. um that's cool yeah uh it's something else and then so you get to the end like i, I can't stress enough if you're going to play near automata you cannot stop after the first playthrough mm-hmm. and if you see yourself through the second playthrough you have to play through all five mm-hmm. it took me 27 hours to beat the game completely um and that was with doing a decent amount of side quests like maybe not decent amount like i finished like 30 percent of the side quests but like i never really decent amount i never really struggled with the game Mm -hmm. um like difficulty wise at all except for that opening area which you got you got you got to save yeah so you can't can't save in the opening area because the thing about the game is and i i i I could be wrong about this i could be speaking out of school but i feel like this is much more of a um tenant of japanese game design than it is of western game design everything that you do in the game that's like a game system is basically baked into the the, the fiction narrative. the fiction of yeah. the game you can't you save you save at these terminals that basically you're downloading your memory set to these terminals um so if you die you can uh, you you can be those memories can be uploaded into your next body exactly you know stuff like that the the fast travel is like the same way all of it is all of it has like this you know, this in fiction reason why things are happening. Yeah. So when you're playing the tutorial, the tutorial, the opening section, the prologue of the game, if you die, you have to go back to the beginning of the prologue. Um, and it's not like, it's not like it's like a hard section. You're just not used to, you're not used to the controls yeah. and they throw things at you that if you're just not used to it and you're not used to the way these things move or your character moves, you could very easily die very fast. Yeah, and like the the place where you died and I died as well, which is like at the last. It's like basically the last thing you have to do before you can save. Yeah. Um, if you just run the wrong way, like if you run to your left instead of running towards the center, you basically are dead. Yep. And for it to be that quick, like I was like, I died once, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put it on easy and just like just for that, I played through the whole section basically with the auto chips off. But when I got to the section, I just put them on. I'm like, you're going to dodge the right way. And then she did. Like, she dodged, like, where she was supposed to dodge. And then I took it off and just fought the boss the rest of the time, you know? But um, just be aware of that stuff because it's going to... I think the real problem with that stuff is not so much the fact that you have to, you have to replay the section. is that you couldn't skip, like... The stuff that you already played? Stuff you, it's something you know, played, but, like, even, like, the opening is, like, pretty long. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like, let me just skip this part. Like, yeah, so I don't it's... mind... I have to do, like, the whole on-the-ground part again or, like... But like, come on, like this is like, yeah, so that, that, that stuff was a little bothersome. But again, it's, it's part of like, it's one of those things where it's part of the personality of the game, you know? So like, even though it can be maddening, the rest of the game probably wouldn't be as interesting if, if, if that philosophy wasn't underlying the whole thing in, in, in that, in that way. Um, at the end of the fifth ending is they, they do something I've never seen a game do mm. ever. Uh, and it's a choice that you have to make. And it is, it is like, I, I can't spoil it and I won't, but it is like, it's, it's why I'm saying like, you have to see it because mm-hmm. no other game has ever, like, as far as I know, has ever done anything like this. Cool. Uh, it's a special game. Uh, I want more, like I've been thinking about it and like, I, I like, I want more of it. Like, cool. I'm cool. It's cool because in Gravity Rush, they introduced DLC where you just play as 2B and I'm yeah. like, well, when I play Gravity Rush, I'm just <laughs> playing as 2B because she's one of my favorite characters yeah. that I've played in the game in a long time. That's awesome. Um, I got the platinum because after your third playthrough, one of the vendors in like your resistance camp that you go to, you get to like right away. Yeah. Um, there, two characters are literally wearing the Yokotaro head, like yeah. that smiling mask. Uh-huh. And then like you go to them and so it'll be like, you know, it's like 
frick, uh, like uh, fiction breaking stuff. Like you go to them and you're talking to them and they're like, um, I feel nauseous. So it's like you're talking to the game itself. Like, mm-hmm. what do I do? I don't feel good. Where do I yeah, go? Yeah, like this weird. game's too difficult. Yeah. And so after them, she's like, I've got stuff in stock. You know what to ask me about. And so they're like, one of the choices is like, ask me about the thing you want. And it's like you could just buy the trophies. <laughs> you could buy like almost all the trophies. That's really um, funny. Except for like for story based ones, mm-hmm. like the main ones mm-hmm. you can't get um, with in-game currency. And like I had like two million dollars of in-game cur- currency because I kept picking it, picking up these machine cores and I never really thought about selling them because I was afraid like I- I'm going to need these for something. And they ended up being worth like 30 something thousand dollars. <laughs> and I had like 70 of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, yeah. let me just start selling these things. And so I was like, buy, oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I bought them all and I was like, all right, well, I'm probably not going to end up getting like, I, I'm, I'm probably going to be a few short of the platinum. And then when I, when I beat the final ending, it was like, bing. It's like, all right. Platinum drovey. The easiest one I've gotten in a while. <laughs> but like, you know, I th- I felt okay about it because I lost those two hours of progress. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like years, it like, if you're on the fence about it, if it's like, ah, this doesn't really sound like it's, it's wild. No other game does this weird stuff with the endings and mm-hmm. the multiple playthroughs. Like it, it grew on me so much because it's really not in my wheelhouse either. Yeah. Um, but it, it's something, man. Yeah. And I should say, I know, again, I didn't know this. There was a PS, I think it's PS2 game, right? Nier was the, on PS2. I think it was, a- there was also a PS3 one as well. Oh, really? Yes. So you don't have to play the previous Nier games to understand this game. Apparently there is stuff you will get out of them if, yes. if you have played them, but just so you know, they exist. Apparently they're all spin off of that Dragon Guard series, which yes. I've never, which I've heard of, but have never understood what it was. There are, so I didn't play any of those games. Mm-hmm. I followed it through pretty cleanly all the way up until a certain point. And then it kind of gets like, they start talking about things and you're like, wait a second. I, I get what you're saying, but why? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I actually went when I finished everything. I went and I just went to like Wikipedia mm-hmm. or like give me everything. And so I read it all and I'm like, right. oh, okay, <laughs> um, that's cool. Go play near. That's nice, awesome. Uh, yeah, I have two short uh, things that I played. Um, I played a game called Late Late Shift, which is on the PSN right now. It's on Steam as well. I think it, when I bought it this weekend, it was ten dollars, um, and it's an FMV choose your own adventure basically uh but really well produced like it looks great uh, not contradiction no it's better it looks better than contradiction Contradiction is a pretty good looking filmed thing yeah you know uh if you compare it to like the old fmv games that used to come out but this like it looks like pretty legit for the most part That's um, cool. and for the most part has very good performances i'd say there's sometimes where it gets a little corny but but just yeah not as corny as contradiction for sure no but it's going for a different thing it's going for a much more serious okay. thing it's the story of a a guy who works at late shift at a parking garage and he gets kind of caught up in this heist story. Uh, um, some people try to steal like a car from his garage and he like tries to stop them and he gets like caught up in their like gang or, or whatever. Uh, it, it, where it's corny, it's just corny enough where it's enjoyably funny. Like even though they're not trying to be funny, um, at a great time just playing it and like playing with my wife and talking about it. Um, it's impressive they, uh, control it's like control movie is the name of the developer and they have this software suite that is made so people who make movies can make interactive movies um, because their software basically lets them put in like these choices as, as they go along and they're all it's like kind of like the telltale thing where it's timed choices okay so you have a certain amount of time to pick your choice so 
it's seamless how it goes from scene to scene. It never has like a frozen screen where you're waiting to choose. It's like, you know, an idle sort of like look and this, the timer is coming down. You'd be like, yes or no. It'll go to the next part of the scene and it'll be seamless and it'll just seem like a movie. Um, and there's like seven endings or something like that, that you can do. And there's points where you can end it pretty early where you could like go to the cops or you could die or whatever. And there's ways you can get all the way to the end. And there's multiple things you can do along the way. Uh, I think I'm going to end up, it has a platinum trophy, which apparently you can get very, very quickly because you they're sold. So there's a way that you can like, if you, cause some of the, some of the trophies you get will be things that lead to like an ending. But as long as you, before the game, like rolls credits, as long as you hit like start uh quick game, restart game, it will reload you at the beginning of the chapter that you were at. So you can kind of just make the other choice and then keep going. Um, the, the whole thing took about an hour, an hour and 10 minutes to play through like one playthrough of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe an hour and a half, um, like a movie length kind of thing. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's pretty novel just because of how good it looks for an FMV game. You I know, have to check it out. And it's not going for like a stylized look, like a her story or something like that, which is a very interesting FMV game that came out a few years ago. It looks like a movie um, or it looks like a really good BBC television show. Let's say. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of, I had a really good time with it. Um, there's no like puzzle solving in it or element to it. It's straight up. Just make a choice. This happens, make a choice. This happens kind okay. of thing. Late shift, really, really fun. If, if you have any interest in that kind of stuff at all, it's 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 a really good one of those. I play a lot of those, and that's a really good one of those. Cool. Um, and the other thing I played was What Remains at Edith Finch, which came out uh, when we were recording this yesterday on the PSN. And I'll give you some touchstones for what to expect from it. Gone Home, I think, is a very good touchstone for this game. Um, it is a short narrative driven experience. It's about two hours to, to, to play through it. More crazy things happen in this game than in Gone Home. Yes, absolutely. But I'm trying to give it like it's a low. It's not about making choices or interacting with things, you know, or solving puzzles. None of that stuff is involved here. It's very much about you play Edith Finch, who is coming back to her childhood home after like seven or eight years away from it. Um, something very, something very bad happened about seven or eight years ago and her mother took her and they left, uh, and she hasn't been back. And now her mom has passed away and she left her a key to something for the house and it's brought her back to the house. So she's narrating as she goes about the, the, the stuff she's experiencing. And she has a notebook that has a, basically a Finch family tree on it. And it has, um, a bunch of different, like 12 different people on it. And as you go through the game, you're basically learning the stories of how these people died is really what it is. Because the deal with the Finch family is that there seems to be like a curse on them in some way. And, and it's not anything mystical or anything like that. It's like, but a lot of their family members have died either very young or in very weird ways. In, um, and as you go through, you're going to like the rooms in the house and... The house is built in this way where they never reuse a room. So when one of the people would pass away or leave, they locked up the room and basically kept building the house as more people lived there. Interesting. So the house is like this crazy, like Frankenstein creation. Um, and you're walking through it. And as you experience, as you go into each room and each room has like, there's like secret passages in it and stuff like that. Um, as you go into each room, each room has like a little memorial, like cloth in it that has the name of a person and the day they were born, the day they died. 
and there's like a diary or a letter or a set of photographs or something. And you pick that thing up and you start to read it and you go basically into a vignette of either the time right in the moment where they right around the moment they died or right around the time where they died and you play through this little vignette, but these little vignettes are all done. It's not just a, I'm going to walk around as this person and do like normal stuff. Um, they all have a very select stylized nature about them. And I'm not going to say what they are because that's part of the kind of the joy of the game. But if you, if you, I'll say one because it's the first one you do and it's in the trailer. Basically, I think you've seen the trailer. Like you, you're playing as like a hawk or like, um, like a cat or something. It looks like you're playing as an animal. One of the, the first, the first person you go into, the first person's room you go into is a little girl and she's written a diary and she's saying like, um, you know, mommy put, sent me to bed without food the other night. Um, and I was eating all this stuff and they start playing as a little girl and you start eating like, like these, like, you know, like, uh, holly berries that are on the windowsill and you like squeeze squeeze toothpaste into your mouth and then like you see a bird outside the window and she pushes on the window and she's like all of a sudden i was a cat and it's like a little girl telling the story and then all of a sudden you're a cat and you're running after this bird on the tree and then you you catch the bird and then you turn to a hawk and you're going after rabbits um and then you become something else and become something else i'm not going to go into all the stuff that you become um and it's kind of surrealist and weird and very much like child's imagination sort of idea and it's all wrapped around the idea that she feels like something's happening to her and that she's, she keeps saying like, she's not going to be here very much longer. And she does that little girl died when she was a little girl. So there's a more morbidity around it, but what you're doing is sort of fanciful and, and whatever. And as you go from room to room, there's different ways that you play out different people's either demises or the time around their demise. This sounds lovely. There is a couple of them that are stylistically amazing. Like there's one, there's one that I wish I could talk about because it was so cool, but I don't want to talk about it because it's something that you want to see people won't people won't be able to see. Yeah. When, when you experience, when it happens, you're like, Oh shit, that's awesome. And there's a couple of them like that. Uh, I, I will say this, the game, the game has fanciful and funny things about it. And it has wistfulness about it and it has, and it has happy things about it, but it's also a sad game. You know, it's, it's a game about, this girl sort of trying to come to grips with what's happened to her family and if it's going to happen to her and trying to figure out why people kept things from her. And, you know, some of the people who died are, were her siblings. So she has like, it's a very like powerful thing that happens at some times. And where some of these vignettes go is just, it's just crazy. Um, you know, so it is, I say got home the top because it's a touchstone as far as like you're walking around a place and you're looking for stuff and you're experiencing a story, other people's stories as you go. Right. Which is much of what gone home is about. It, it, it varies wildly, obviously from, from what happens in gone home. But I think that I don't want people to expect it. It's not even like a telltale level of engagement, right? Okay. You're not, you're not making choices. You're not like doing like, Oh, I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna go that way. Or I'm making a dialogue choice or whatever. That stuff isn't there. You are doing gameplay things, and there are things that you do to interact with the environment and the world, for sure. But um, it, it's not about. It's very much about. Here is the story we want to tell you, and you're gonna. I'm gonna we're gonna guide you through it as you go. You're experiencing a person's story th- throughout it. Uh, it, it I mean, uh, it was fantastic for for me. I, I love those kind of games for, for one thing. So. To know that when, when you're going into it, if you're not someone who enjoys story-based experiences like this, then maybe it's not for you. But 
it was powerful. It was funny. It was relatable. It's not long. No, it's two hours. I, it took me two hours to play through it. Um, and it was one of those games where, and the cool thing about it is when you beat it, you can choose to play through just one of the stories again if you want to. Oh, cool. The story you really like, because there's one I really like and I want to do it again because I just like the way it looks. Um, really good. And the lead performance was fantastic. The girl who voiced Edith Finch was awesome. Um, it's made by Giant Sparrow who made a game called Unfinished Swan a few years ago. It's much less, much less abstract than that type of game. But that game was similar in the way that it was trying to evoke emotion through like simplistic storytelling. This is also going very heavily and trying to evoke emotion. And it's a little bit bizarre as, as well. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It's really, really good. I, I think, I think it's, I think if you, if you pre-ordered it, it was like 1599. Um, I think it's $20 if, if you buy it now on, on PS4. Uh, but it was, it's an experience and it's definitely going to be one of those things that bring up at, at the end of the year. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It, and, and, and if you like, and, and absolutely, if you like Gone Home or Firewatch, play What Remains to Be the Finch because it, it it fits nicely into sort of that canon of games. I think that are sort of the the best of these type of first person um, story based games. Cool. Yeah. Those are the two, those. That's what I've been playing. I got one more thing. Yeah, and it's quick. Flint Hook. Flint Hook. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that we were talking about at, uh, talking about at the end of the year, um, I know Kelsey brought it up. I think it was last week. Yes. Uh, so. I didn't really know much about it. I, I, I knew the name. I knew the concept of the game. I did not know that it was Rogue Legacy in another form. <laughs> um, I like roguelikes. I like roguelikes a lot more when my deaths count for something. Yeah. I like when you want to run and it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't accomplish my goal, but I, I got a couple of these gems, which now will allow me to increase my health or something like right, that. When yeah. every death means something. Yeah. Rogue lights as I think. Yes. Know them, yeah. So Flint Hook is one of those. And so you are a space pirate and you go jumping around to these uh, ships. So you are doing bounties. You're like, I, I got to go kill this guy. And you have this compass that's in some sort of alien. And the alien will point you in the right direction if you collect three of these gems. And so you just go to ships and the ships will tell you how difficult they are. And you um, it's like the Rogue Legacy where it's like you start in one room and then you move to another room and now that that room shows up on your map and you go down, you go left, you go right, you go up and you'll find rooms where it's like I can buy things, I can supplement my health, I can get these cards which will, you know, allow me to come back once from a death or whatever. And then you'll you go into rooms and the, the doors will lock and you'll be in a combat scenario. It's it's different from Rogue Legacy in that way where everything was just like open. Mm-hmm. Like you're going into a room and you're like, I've got to clear everything out in this room for me to progress past it. And you could slow down time and you jump around on these hooks and you have this gun and you shoot. And when you beat everybody in that room, a chest will drop and you'll get more gems, so on and so forth, until you find this very big chest at the end of this ship somewhere. And you get one of those like gems that'll that your creature eats. And now it becomes a little bit more clear of where your target is. Mm. And you collect three of those and you go to a boss room and you beat the boss. And now that that guy's done, you move on to the next one. And then you can go back and you can play that other one, that, that boss that you've beaten on a harder difficulty and get more rewards and so mm-hmm. on. But when you die, um, you all the money you get translates into experience. And then you'll be getting these other gems. And those gems, will you go to a black market. And so you have a, like a limited amount of slots for things. Like, you know, I want more health or I want to um, gain health uh, when I kill somebody or I want more experience or I want this or I want that or I want to buy more slots for me to use. And so I kept buying more slots. And then before you go into the next round or your next playthrough, um, there's these card packs that you open that you get from your last playthrough and you open it up and it's like um, 
your bullets now ricochet off the walls or every time you kill somebody you get back a little bit of health but you take more damage or you get more experience but you take more damage and these like these modifiers that you put on you don't get as much damage you know you won't take as much damage when you're hit by an enemy and so on and so forth and like you're mixing and matching those depending on how many slots that they take up out of what you have like some are one some are four and you might only have seven slots it's awesome it's a it's you know it's another one of those so it's like Mm -hmm. if you liked rogue legacy Mm -hmm. you will like this Mm -hmm. and so i liked rogue legacy a lot cool and so i'm playing i'm playing a lot of flint hook all right and enjoying it nice um i will say adam e steps in us a question about star wars games we're gonna wait till he's back on the show and matt's on the show so that we should just do it now to upset them yeah i know (laughs) talk about it now to piss them off um so uh i want to ask one quick question then we're gonna get out of here um cody had asked last week and we didn't get a chance to get to it do you ever think sony or microsoft will adopt a digital trade-in mechanic could change the way gamestop does business yes eventually Mm. i think uh in a within the last year microsoft sent out like a test survey um you know what would you like to see in a future iteration of the next dashboard update and one of the questions was like would you trade in games digitally Mm -hmm. where you like you buy a game you trade it in you can no longer play it Mm -hmm. um and I think the answer, the obvious answer for that would be yes. Like if you're not playing a game anymore, you may as well get something for it. Yeah. Or if you like just holding on to your collection, the option being there would be nice. Yeah. I don't think we're any, I don't think we're close to it. They're starting to do like Microsoft is testing right now refunds, mm-hmm. um, which I think will be implemented for a long time before we see anything uh, as far as like digital trade-ins. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, that just seems like more of goodwill than anything else. Yeah. Like, Cause they're not, you're not, doesn't change microsoft's bottom end or and you know them getting that that digital game back in stock doesn't do anything yeah but it does put money into your like um your account that you can then spend yes and it's sort of proven that if people have like gift card money they're going to spend like double that amount when they go into a store to, to to use it most of the time and i i think that it can help them in some ways and it can very much undercut what gamestop does but gamestop is already having trouble they're already floundering big time. So I don't think Sony and Microsoft are as worried as they as they once were uh, or as uh, sort of concerned as they once were about companies like GameStop because they're closing stores all over the place and they're having a lot of trouble. On the Beastcast this week, they talked about um, – Alice had brought up this thing about digital sales. Yeah. And I think it was like 70-something percent of all sales all game sales all game sales but this also includes like phones loop loop boxes and and expansions and so forth are done digitally yeah and mobile stuff as well so it's like there are some places where like some of that stuff is a little misleading i would like to hear about like games that are available at retail and games that are available like and also available at both how that split happens yes um i i think that would be great and i think that it would be smart of them to do um uh, uh, but I think that that again, is the only reason I do digital. I mean, I, th- that I am not full digital. Yeah, me is too. the ability to turn around it and like get rid of something that I know that I'm not going to like, I'm not going to replay. Like I'm not going to replay near. Right. I've seen that thing through. Yeah. I, I, I know what it is. Exactly. Um. So like I will turn around and put that towards prey or something, yeah. something else that, that I'll turn around and get rid of eventually. Mm-hmm. Um. But, but like that is the only thing that in the fact that the games are like, Twelve dollars cheaper on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think that giving us giving the trade in, and even it's not a lot. It doesn't have to be a lot, you know. But I think that the ability to do it would be would 
like you said, be a very good goodwill move yes. for them to do. Um, you know, I think the refund thing is a thing they have to do because, you know, they're competing with other digital storefronts that allow you to do that. So they have to get in on it. And now that Microsoft is doing it, you know, Sony will, Sony will well. do it because they, they don't want Microsoft to have anything over their heads with this kind of stuff. Anything that is consumer friendly, they don't want Microsoft to have the Trump card on. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it could happen. I, I, I would wonder how they would go about it and what they would what kind of rates they would give would be like a flat thing, you know, for a $60 game, you get $10 or whatever, you know, it might be, but it would be nice to have that ability, you know, it would also be nice to be like, cause it's one of those things, just like when you buy physical games, you're like, I don't want this game anymore. Like either I didn't like it or like, you know, like I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I just want, I don't want it here anymore. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice to be able to get rid of it. Um, but we'll see. I think, I think it could be a cool thing. Like um, if it does happen and I think it will, I'm thinking it's years out. Yes, for sure. Yes. I think that there's one game we didn't mention that we've been playing. Justin's playing Resident Evil Seven. He's yes. about halfway through that thing, playing through that all that whole that the whole thing uh, on on uh, on videotapes. Um, <laughs> that's going up on our, our YouTube channel right now. A little series we're calling Monster Closet. So if you're checking that out, I think. But yeah, there's just four parts out when you hear this, and the fifth part is coming out on Friday. Um, we're about halfway through the game. We recorded about halfway through the game. We're not halfway through the game yet for stuff that's been released. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that. I think it, it, I want to get Justin's full impressions after we finish it. Yes. Uh, but if you want his moment to moment impressions, you can definitely watch those videos because he gives them. <laughs> yes. That is a, a, a safe way of saying it. As, as we go along. Um, so check that out on the YouTube channel. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our, our YouTube channel. It's uh, growing. It's growing. And we got, I think Cody is going to be doing another competitive Overwatch series. He's going to be putting up uh, his kind of road to trying to get to the top tier. So we're going to see how that goes. Um, Hugh played through all of the first episode of Guardians of the Galaxy. So that's up there as well. And you and I are talking about a lot of things. Got a lot of things that are going on. Yes. I got some new features we're, we're spinning up. I'm working on a new feature that will be going up regularly. Um, right now I'm working on the first one right now for actually late shift. Um, we're doing, I'm we're doing this series of stuff called what is. So, uh, it's an attempt to like short 10 minute videos that attempt to let you guys know about some games that maybe you you've heard of that haven't, that you don't really know what they are. Like I, we want to do one on, I'm gonna do one on late shift. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do one on player unknowns battlegrounds, which is probably a game that most people who are into games have heard of, but a lot of people probably don't God, I want to play that. know what it is. Um, and other stuff like that. So, um, th that should be cool. And that was, a, I, I'm hoping to have the first one out by this weekend, just as a kind of like a pilot program on, on that. Um, and I'm going to record a couple more times me playing through battlegrounds and then do one of those as well. Um, but yeah, we're doing that. And, uh, Follow us on Twitter at talking underscore games rate and review the podcast. Please. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes so Justin can not have a stress heart attack. Because um, sometimes we get negative reviews and then Justin sends me screenshots of them. So we said we read the reviews, <laughs> so I read the reviews. <laughs> so leave us leave us nice reviews, please. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it. It means a lot and it helps a lot with standings in iTunes. It's one of the best things you can actually do for helping the podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby Shortle, Justin Jero J O R O A K. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. We got some other cool stuff in the works right now that we're not ready to talk about quite yet. But I've been sending Justin things over the weekend that I think that is a pretty exciting thing. So uh, we will we'll unveil that shortly. I think. Um, 
But yeah, it's a great stuff. Thank you guys so much for your support and people who've been watching Monster Closet already. Thank you, thank you so much. When you resp- when you tweet at us about it or comment on it, it, it means the world to us. It's it really does because you know when you record those things, it's kind of like you're. It's a new venture for us, right? As a, uh, the podcast, we we we've done a lot of episodes and. You know, you get kind of regular feedback when you when you do the show. That's a kind of a new venture for us. So when you guys message us or talk about it, it helps to not think like you're just talking into a void, uh, which is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really great. So thank you very much for that. Um, but I think that's gonna do it for talking games for this week. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you to all of you who are listening. Until next time, be good to one another.